Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Let us see that this morning that you are forever, that you endure forever, and your faithfulness is forever. We need that. We need that type of hope. We need that type of strength that comes from knowing you. We invite you this morning, join with us as we celebrate your presence, expressing our love not only to you, but also to each other. May you build us up and edify us, Lord, that we may just present your gospel, that we may be faithful to your gospel and living out your gospel. Thank you for bringing us here for that. And for that moment this morning, we praise in Christ's name. Amen. A crystal clear view is message title. As we look at Mark chapter 12, 38 through 44, we close out this chapter. Pay it forward. Maybe you've heard the phrase random acts of kindness. They're phrases we hear about all the time in which it says, we want to do good deeds. We want to do good for others. I remember listening to one of the local radio stations And they had this thing called pay it forward or random acts of kindness. And what they were wanting to do is obviously encourage people to do so. But they wanted to hear and ask for, hey, call in and let us know about random acts of kindness. Well, obviously what they were looking for was for people to call in and to share and give testimony how others have done good deeds for them. In other words, give testimony of how someone has met a need. But it quickly diverged to where people were calling and sharing how they were doing good deeds for others. I think they missed the point of what they were trying to do. Sometimes as I listen, I would question their motives. Why exactly are they paying it forward? Why exactly are they doing random acts of kindness? Is it praise to God or is it praise from men? We hear and read about politicians and businesses that desire to do good deeds and to help others only to find out that their motives were not altogether pure. We ourselves are victim to our own motives when we seek to do good, maybe even in serving God, yet our hearts betray us as we realize that sometimes we are enslaved to our own indulgences and passions. Even in serving and loving our own families, our motives are suspect. As we've been looking in Mark, Mark has shared that his desire is to share and record the ministry of the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is writing an account of the life and ministry of Jesus in order to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God to the Christian church that's under persecution in Rome. He wants to give evidence that their hope in who Jesus is, is real and is true and is valid. The religious leaders, as we see Jesus now in his final week, he has entered Jerusalem. They have been questioning his authority throughout his ministry, but now there's a hardcore press on all. He answers their questions so wisely that the Bible tells us that no one dared to ask him any more questions. So now Jesus, as we saw from last week, is going on the offensive with some questions and statements of his own. Last week we learned... 
was the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Messiah would be fully God and fully man. I would like to add, last week I did not do that as precise as I should have. Is God is not, Jesus was not only God and man, as I said last week, but he's fully God and he's fully man. And as we learn that embracing this truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man leads to life while rejecting or denying that truth leads to condemnation. In today's passage, Jesus now draws his attention to the actions, not the teachings, but to the actions of the scribes, and he compares it with a poor widow in comparing or looking at the motives of the two. Let's read the passage. It's Mark chapter 12, 38 through 44. Jesus, Mark records, and in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in log robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. But in verse 41, he set down the opposite of the treasury. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live in. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your word. It's a privilege and a great responsibility to be able to open your word, to teach from it, to read from it, to learn from it. So I pray that you'd open each and every one of our hearts. May your spirit have free reign. May we not quench the spirit, but may we call in, Lord, let us be enlightened by this passage. Strike our hearts this morning and let us respond that you may be glorified. We praise in Christ's name. And I want to make several observations as we go through this passage. The first observation is going to take part with the first part of that, the passage. The first observation comes with a warning. Beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Now, as you may recall from our earlier messages, the scribes, who were also known as the lawyers, were theologians of the law, specifically with the Pharisees. It was their job to study the Mosaic Law, the prophets, and the writings to interpret the meaning of those passages and then apply them in their teaching. And we have noticed that they have done a very poor job in doing so. Jesus, throughout his ministry, had spent considerable amount of time correcting their interpretations and applications in their teaching. We saw that last week. He had called them fools. He said that they were ignorant. He accused them of being prideful and even being whitewashed tombs filled with dead man bones. They were held to a higher standard due to the important task of guarding the law and the privilege of teaching God's people. But they had mishandled the law and they had led the people astray. In this passage, Jesus is in the temple. And he's teaching the people. He knows his time is short. In a couple days, he will face the rejection of the crowd, be condemned to die at the cross. He is spending his last few precious moments with the people. Jesus gives a dire warning about these so-called teachers of the law. He once again publicly denounces the scribes by saying, Beware, these are people you should not follow. 
Jesus gives them several reasons why they're to beware of these scribes. He points out some things of why these men are not qualified to teach and lead. He points out that these theologians, they like to walk around in long robes. Now, not necessarily wrong with long robes. Theologian Walter Russell writes that the teachers of the law, though wore long white linen robes that were fringed and reached almost to the ground, they were very distinct and noticeable. It was not something that's part and parcel of serving Christ or serving in their position, but it was to make themselves noticeable. They loved greetings in the marketplace as they would walk around, as people would greet them. They were shown special attention in public. They were greeted with titles such as rabbi and teacher and master, and they loved to hear their names called out around the crowds. They sought out and loved the best seats in the synagogues in front so they could be seen and could be right next to the precious scrolls in the Torah. They loved places of honor when it came to feasts and banquets. They were invited to the finest banquets by people of influence and with wealth because of their prestige. And they were given special places of honor. And they loved and they desired these things. If that was not enough, Jesus points out in this passage that they devoured widows' houses, meaning they were not allowed to be paid. They were not paid scribes. So the scribes depended on gifts and donations for their services. One of the services that they provided is they would serve as estate planners and, and financial advisors, mainly for those that were wealthy and including those of widows, wealthy patrons. And they would pressure them to make a donation to them or to leave their money to them or you know, to draw them dry with their finances. They made fake prayers in public that were insincere and meant to draw attention to themselves. They did so to look holy and pious. Jesus says, beware. Do not follow. Do not be like them. But the second observation is in that second passage, and that's about the widow. This involves a poor widow. This time Jesus is sitting in the temple by the collection box, observing those who were coming by to give. Now there was a temple tax, but this was a free will offering that would be given to the work of the temple and to the feeding of those that worked there, but also and many times then given back to the poor. The temple tax and the free will offerings were collected in what was called the court of the women. Now, several weeks ago, we saw that Jesus cleared out the court of the Gentiles. The court of the women's was not just a place where only women can go, but it was a place that women were allowed to go and even give money. There were 13 trumpet-shaped donation boxes set around the court for people to come and to donate. After watching for some time, we see that Jesus calls over his disciples to point out this poor little widow. He says many rich people are putting in large sums, but there's a poor widow who came and put in two small copper coins. Mark says it came to just a, a penny. The copper coins that Mark is recording were the smallest denomination of money in Palestine. It would be similar to our little penny here. It's the smallest denomination of money that we might have. In addressing his disciples in this part to the scribes, it was to the people. But to his disciples, he says, now I want you to see something special taking place here. In addressing, he points out three things about the widow as we see here in Mark chapter 12, 
41 through 44. He says, first, the poor widow has put in more than all those who gave. Now, you and I recognize that one penny does not equal large sums, but he's saying that she gave more. In the view of Jesus, she gave more than even the rich. Why? Because the rich contributed out of their abundance. It was something that they could afford to give. But she gave out of her what? Her poverty. She gave out of her need, her poverty. Jesus goes on to point out to them that the widow put in everything she had. All that she had to live on. Now that's important. Because this is not saying that she went and got out of her bank account and she gave some money, or she just had what was in her purse. Some may say, well, if that's all she had in her purse, that's what she gave. But no, Jesus is pointing out, no, it's all that she had. It's all that she had to live on. She did not have other resources. She could not go to the bank, to the ATM, and get more money. You see, in those days, people worked mainly as day laborers, pretty much what we see around here. They would work that day, they would get paid in the evening, and then they would go to the market and buy what they needed. And that money was all that they had. This was not a, a society in which you were saving and accumulating wealth if you were in certain portions of life, especially if you were a widow. You were probably taking care of someone who's sick, maybe uh, taking care of some small animals, maybe tending a small garden. You were working for somebody doing some type of menial label that all she would make is one penny. One sixty-fourth of a denarius is what a penny was worth. It was one sixty-fourth of a day's worth of labor. It's all that she had. She didn't have more at home. So what Jesus is pointing out and what you and I must recognize, that when she's giving, she is going without that day. She is choosing not to eat, trusting that God will feed her tomorrow. This poor widow put in more. She contributed out of her poverty, and she put in everything that she had. By doing so, Jesus is pointing out, as Mark is recording this story, is that she is worthy to be emulated. Not the scribes, but this poor woman. Be like the widow, Jesus is implying here. One theologian writes that the means of the giver and the motives are actually the measure of true generosity, not giving out of your abundance, but it's giving out of your poverty that shows the measure of your generosity. So what is this passage about? What is it telling us as Jesus is taking these observations? He says, do not be like this. Beware of them. They get a greater commendation or condemnation. But look at this person here. Here's a greater commendation. Be like this woman. I believe this passage is really telling us about worship. Worship in living. Worship in praying. Worship in giving. And what we're finding here in this section is either worship will be accepted or rejected. What we're seeing playing out here in this record of Mark is very similar to what we saw in Genesis with Cain and Abel. Both give an object of worship, but one is accepted and one is rejected by God. The outcome is based not on your actions, but is based on the heart. Specifically, the motives of the heart. 
Jesus said that the scribes will see the greater condemnation. Why? Because their heart is not in their actions. Their actions truly show the poorness of their heart, while the poor widow is honored by Christ for her sacrifice and generosity. Not for her actions, but by the heart that moved her to give. The prophet to Jeremiah declares that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked, desperately evil. Who can understand it? Is that not true? You and I spend our lives trying to discern the motives of people around us, our spouses, our children, our bosses. We see the same thing. People are always discerning our motives, trying to discern our motives. But what we see here is the people are really hoodwinked. If we were to look at this, we would think it's the scribes that we're to emulate, and it's the widow that we would not want to be like. Who wants to be like a poor widow? Who wants to be someone who doesn't have savings? Who wants to be someone who has two small pennies or a penny and that we give it all? We would say, no, don't do that. God is saying, yes, that's what you're to emulate. For that shows a good heart, a pure heart. But we see that our hearts are deceitful. And Jeremiah says, who can understand it? And that's a good question. Who can understand the hearts? There's no shortage of songs and poems and novels and movies have been written to explore its fathoms. Only to conclude that the heart wants what the heart wants. It gives us no answer. We throw up our hands trying to determine and assert what motivates others, what motivates our spouses, our children, our family, and our friends. What causes people to do what they do? We wonder and ask, how can we change their hearts? How can we motivate people to change? But yet we can't understand. Scientists and doctors, therapists, politicians, social managers, and a myriad of groups have theories and treatments and programs and medicines meant to answer these questions. Yet in reality, what you and I must understand as we look at this portion of Scripture that only God can discern the motivations of the heart. Jeremiah 17.10, he writes, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. David himself sings, O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You have discerned my thoughts from afar. Proverbs says that all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So who can understand the heart? Who can know the heart? God himself. And as we see, who will judge the scribe and who will judge the widow? It is God himself who sees through the actions. He sees through the motivations of each and every one of us. And in this passage today, I believe Mark records this portion of Scripture to show through Jesus' observation about the scribes and the widow that Jesus is the Son of God. For that's why Mark wrote, here's the gospel of the Son of God. You see, Jesus has a crystal clear view of both the scribes and the widow's hearts. It's Jesus, the Son of God. He sees through the good deeds and the actions 
people. Why? He's the Son of God. And he understands that some motivation is that which will please God. It's the pure heart of worship that God desires, not just the actions. And because Jesus has a crystal clear view of both the scribe and the widow's heart, because Jesus, as the Son of God, can look down and discern our hearts this morning, he teaches us two things that we can draw from this passage. The first one is you and I need to follow those leaders that emulate the heart of God. You and I need to follow leaders that emulate the heart of God. I love what Paul says, imitate me as I imitate God, Christ. Imitate me as I imitate God. What's that old phrase parents used to say? Or do as I say, not as I do, right? And it seems like we've given people that type of thing. Just listen to my words and ignore my actions. We're in a political silly season where that's very much the case. Forget about what I do. Forget about all these other things. Just take what I say. And in that case, don't even take what I say for serious either. Why? We live in this world that's so topsy-turvy. But we're to follow leaders who emulate the heart of God. We see that very clearly with the scribes and the widow. You have one who is selfish and one who is selfless. You see a group of men who are greedy, but a widow who is generous. One leads to false worship while the other demonstrates true worship. So let me ask you today, is your worship true or is your worship false? Are you going through the motions with your heart not in it? Or are you here singing with a loud noise, recognizing that it comes from your heart? Galatians 1.10, Paul writes, For now am I seeking the approval of man? He asks a question. He says, Or am I trying to please man? He says, Not if I were, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Paul also writes, I aim to seek to please God. And that comes not just by our actions. You and I could do many good things. There are many of you who do good things. But in the end, God judges the motives of our hearts. For we know there are people who do things with the wrong motives. Follow those leaders that emulate the heart of God in which you can see their motives. There's a transparency. Their life is matching out what they do. So not only are we to follow leaders that emulate the heart of God, but we also need to recognize that the motives of the heart determine whether our worship is accepted or rejected. You and I are here today and we ask, Lord, may our worship be accepted. May we be as able, may we be as the widow. May we be as Samuel and not Saul. Let our worship be accepting, may it be pleasing. The scribes sought out their own desires in their worship, in their serving God. They were more interested in social significance and in growing in economic status. They used serving God to get what they wanted. Hence why scripture says, do not serve God for greedy gain. But yet we find many people who serve God just for greedy and social significance and for their own desires. You can love your wife and serve your children well, but yet do it from the wrong motives. 
You can share the gospel from the wrong motives. Paul himself says, some preach Christ out of envy. Now he rejoiced only because the gospel of Christ was preached, but he says, even then their motives will be judged. As Jesus said, I'll never knew you to those who preached and taught and cast out demons. They did all these good things, but yet their heart was far from God. We see it in the story of Acts of Simon the magician, who seemed to accept God, who seemed to accept the gospel, who seemed to rejoice, but yet when he saw the power of the Holy Spirit, he sought to pay for it with money. Why? And he's, he's reprimanded because his heart, his motives yet were not truly aligned with God. So the scribes sought their own desires, but the widow sought out godly desires. She was more interested in helping others. That's why she gave. She knew there were other people, maybe other widows, who could not go out and work for a penny. Maybe they were held up or lame. Her self-sacrificing generosity is on full display. And in Jesus noticing it, in Jesus pointing it out, she now lives in eternity in the pages of Scripture. We do not know her name. We don't know where she came from. We don't know where she died. But she is stoned here for her good, self-sacrificing, generous hearts. Why? Because her heart loved God. It loved others. It's on full display. It was obviously, it was obviously that she trusted God to meet her needs. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So here's the thing. In you and I, in our worship, and our worship includes not just our singing. It includes not just you coming this morning and listening to a message or even giving. Your worship includes everything that you do from your work to your serving your family to being a good neighbor all of that is part of worship it's focusing on God and letting the gospel as we talked about this morning saturate your life and it's being lived out and others are seeing it God will test our hearts let me ask do you recognize that today as you're listening to the sound of my voice Hopefully understanding what I'm saying, taking what I'm saying and trying to say, Lord, how do you want me to work in my life? God will test your heart. First Corinthians tells us that he will test our actions. They will be tried by fire. He says some will get gold and jewel and precious stones that will be melted down, but others will have wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned into ashes. In the end, it's the motives of our heart. But let's you and I join with David, who in Psalms cries out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and then lead me into the way everlasting. There's where the gospel speaks. For God has now given us a new heart. He has given us new motives. He has given us new desires. Yes, they're at war with some of the old, but let's thank God that he has given us something new, something greater. The Holy Spirit lives within us, giving us a greater desire and greater motives. So let us join, though, in the same way. Lord, search me. Search my motives. Lord, am I doing this out of love or am I doing this out of spite? Am I doing this for my own gain or am I doing it for someone else's benefit? 
you may ask, well, hey, I, I want to do good works. I want God to, to bless what I'm doing. I want him to bless my attendance at church. I want him to bless as I love my children and I care for them. I want God to bless that. How do I discern whether or not I'm doing that? For I myself do not know my own heart. Have you ever been surprised by your own heart and your own motives? Have you ever thought, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing good, and then all of a sudden something comes and you recognize that maybe your motives are not as pure? Well, it's very simple. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, which we read. In Hebrews chapter 4, we recognize how we can discern our motives. Yes, it is only God who can see our hearts. And let me tell you, your hearts many times are still hidden from you. You may think that you know yourself best, and that may be true to a circumstance or to a situation. But yet in the end, it's still God who will test our hearts. So how do we know how you and I can discern our hearts? How does God speak to our new hearts? And how does he speak to those motives that we may test them? Hebrews 4.12, very simple. For the word of God. Underline that. The, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And listen to this. And able to judge the thoughts and motives of the heart. God has not left us destitute. He has given us His Word. Now, the scribes also had God's word, not completed as we had, but yet in their reading, in their teaching, they never tested their hearts. You and I now have that ability through the Holy Spirit to do so, to read and to respond. So would you join me this morning? Is that you and I need to read God's word. We need to pray through God's word. Father, test me, know me, search me. Father, change my motives, change my desires. Let me see myself as you see me. So what can you do with that today? Let me bring you down to this. It's the first thing that we need to do, and it's on here on the screen, is you and I need to have a humble heart that worships God in living and serving. It starts with a humble heart. The actions of the scribe showed their heart. The Old Testament had much to say about taking care of widows. The prophet Isaiah warns, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. He had warned them, Do not let this be. The writer of Psalm 68 reminds us that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would later take Jesus' teaching and write in his letter that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, but yet... Their hearts, the scribes, were too prideful as they sought their own significance. But you and I can fall and fail to the same thing. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to James chapter 2. We had looked at this portion of Scripture some time ago in our study of James, but let's go back. For James, again, takes the teaching of Jesus 
And James taught on giving seats of honor to incure favor in churches. In James chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of God. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes in your assembly, a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He say, well, we don't do that, but yet we do many times. With people who come in, we make judgments. We look at people and we judge them of what we think they are. Are they rich? Are they poor? Do they have a good place? Or are they homeless? And we may not say that you can sit here, you can sit there, but maybe in our interactions with people, maybe how we welcome them, maybe how we might embrace them or stand aside. Let me tell you, God checks the humbled heart. The humble heart that worship God and living and serving is what we're to have. Early in his ministry, Jesus had taught his disciples that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. and He who humbles himself will be exalted. And I pray today that you would humble yourself by asking God, search my heart. Remove any pride that attaches itself to my worship, to my living and serving God. The second thing that I would encourage you today is to have a sacrificial, generous, cheerful heart that worships God in giving. He's pointing out this for a reason. Take your Bibles once again and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Not only are we to have a humble heart that worships God in our living, in our serving, in our praying, in our singing, in our loving, but we're also to have a sacrificial, generous, cheerful heart. That in itself is an antidote to a selfish, greedy heart. It is to be generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's saying that you guys are doing a good work. They're raising some money for the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem at that time has been affected by a famine. A famine, by the way, that had really been worldwide, but it hit Jerusalem very, very hard. In it, the churches that Paul had, had started, it said, we're going to take up a collection for those Christians in Jerusalem. Paul, in the midst of this, says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was not an area that was very, very rich. Macedonia is, is now in Eastern Europe. It's right above Greece. It is not a rich area. But in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty Okay, so they have abundant joy, even while they're in immense affliction and extreme poverty, has overflowed in what? A wealth of generosity. They're like this poor widow. Their extreme affliction, their extreme poverty leads them to generosity. Now let me ask you, let's put that in Orange County. Let's take those two things, add them together, does that equal generosity on our part? Does it generally? He says their extreme poverty is overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own 
accord. Not by any manipulation on our part, not by any pleading on our part. They begged us earnestly for the favor in taking part in the relief of saints. It's like you and I going down to the Santa Ana Riverbed and asking for them to give us money so we can help some homeless people. It would seem silly, but yet that's almost what you have here. And this, not as we expected, they didn't give as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They held nothing back. You and I are to have a sacrificial, generous, cheerful heart that worships God in our giving. Why? For that shows a heart that's motivated by love. In 2 Corinthians, he goes on to say, each one must give as he's decided his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One day, you and I will have our hearts tested. And the health of our heart is not going to be based on how strong it pumps blood. It's not going to be based on a stress test. It's not going to be based on any type of clogging or anything else that might be going on. It's going to be tested for its motivation. Does it love God and love its neighbor? Or does it love itself and seeks to do good and do things for the wrong motives? Let me ask you, as a church... Let us be a church that worships with a humble, sacrificial, generous, giving heart that loves God. And may our good deeds, may the things that we do here be pleasing, not because they're greater than anyone else, not because they reach further than any other church, not that they reach deeper than any church, but that it's done out of love for God. For that is the greatest commandment, as he shared with the scribes earlier. Let us be like the widow, not like the scribes. Here's my conclusion. Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, the son of David, writes, here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Would you join me this morning in praying for our desires, our passions, our motives to align with God? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment to pause to consider what Mark has written here for our benefit and for our good? Would you consider that Jesus is the Son of God who can discern the motives of the heart, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would come and do the work in your heart, and would you respond by humbly accepting the Spirit's work? Father, we come before you as a people redeemed, brought out of darkness into light, and we rejoice with that fact. You have taken our hearts that were wicked and desperately evil, and you have replaced him with a new heart. But as James tells us, there are times that we still struggle with our old passions and our own desires. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts, show us the ways in which our motives, our hearts, are not aligned with your word. 
May your Holy Spirit do the cutting and the, the slicing that it needs to do right down to the depths of our hearts. Let us see ourselves for who we are. And may the gospel come in and just uh, transform our lives. Father, that our hearts and our motives may match with our deeds, that you may be glorified and that we may be built up, not for our significance, but for your glory. Do that work this morning. If there's any here that do not know you this morning, that they are still have not repented of their dead works and not turned towards you, let them see your glory this morning. Open their eyes that they may see the wonderful news of the gospel. And Father, how you've come and sent your Son that he may be our substitute and reconcile us back to you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.